There was a minute deep into the night when I was thinking like, okay, I'm just going to sneak into one of the other movie theaters <laughs> in this building and just like sleep on the floor in there for like sure. a minute, you know? <laughs> All right, you guys ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And joining us today on this very special Exhumed Films 24-hour horrathon, special, special, special. Uh, special day of exhaustion. Yeah, we're tired, folks. Uh, we're here with our dear friend, Josh Christensen. Thanks for coming on, Josh. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Josh Christensen is a fellow member of the Philadelphia Psychotronic Film Society, uh, star of several B, Z grade horror movies and genre films, and, and beyond. And beyond. And is someone who we just love watching movies with. He's a great friend. Uh, has very, very different takes and opinions <laughs> than us. I think that's why we love watching movies with you, is because you... I give a different perspective. Yeah, and you you love stuff. Like, we are, yeah. are jaded little shitheads. And I mean, I love... <laughs> I love things, but I hate more things. And when I first met Josh years ago now, I thought you were full of shit because <laughs> you're probably the most good-natured person I know. Like, especially our fellow movie nerd friends, we're all kind of... Jaded. Jaded. Grumbly asshole. Grumbly on the autism spectrum and maybe not great at socializing but josh is like normal and upbeat about i mean there's stuff you don't like but when i first met you i was like this can't be real <laughs> yeah I, I i frequently read your letterbox like reviews and just right. and your, get your mad about ratings, them yeah. and i get mad about it i do it all the time you're not the only person in that regard yeah it's it's infuriating but anyway the three of us just experienced one of the greatest film events that happens every year exhumed films 24-hour horrathon it is a sacred day for us it's, it's christmas it's yeah it, it really really is christmas yeah it's nerd christmas kind of like christmas the day before christmas eve you're so fucking excited to get up in the morning and open presents obviously gentiles i'm talking about gentiles <laughs> here you're so excited to, to wake up and open your presents that it's hard to sleep the night before. And then when you're there in the morning, you're all like, you know, groggy eyed and just got this psycho energy. You're so ex excited to be there, you know, and you're also so tired. It's this this weird, magical feeling that it, it feels very unique to this event. And um, we're, we're so we're so tired. We're so tired, <laughs> but. So this year was extra special because it's their 25th anniversary from when they started doing screenings and it's their 15 year anniversary of doing the horathons. We should also say we've done a couple episodes on exhumed marathons like this time last year we did one on horathon and we gave this like breakdown of who they are and what their deal is and what kind of screenings they do. So if you want to hear their history definitely go back and listen to the one from last year where we say coherent things about them, but we also, <laughs> we were, pretty fucked up we were tired. <laughs> I mean, there it's, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a few guys, a handful of guys who've been collecting film prints and doing these screenings for, like Sam was saying, 25 years. And I, I can't express just how important they are, not just to uh, the film scene, the, the East Coast 35mm repertory genre film scene. They're so important to me and to my development as a, a film fan growing up, they've been tastemakers almost for me. And it's so nice how when you look at the lineup, because I, I, I've gone to pretty much every single 24 since the first year. There was one year where I had a nervous breakdown. I moved to like Belgium and I couldn't make it. Whatever. Moral, moral <laughs> of the story. Uh, it feels like when you look at the lineup from year one, they're all the movies that I loved then. You know, I mean, I still love them now, but it's like movies like Hellraiser, uh, Gates of Hell, just uh, Phantasm, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's just like, it's a crazy lineup of just like every fucking banger horror movie in the world. And now that we're at year 15, when you look at the lineup, it's as if their sensibilities and their programming style have almost changed with my tastes. And I realize it's because I spend so many hours of my life going to their screenings that, it, I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to, to put it into words just how important they are to me and how it feels like these every year it's like a, it's a gift to me. I, I, I'm being really selfish here, but it's like, it's like, oh, thank you for playing this. I love that. This is so nice. And it's just, gosh, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been going to their screenings for 25 years now since I was a teenager and so having them early on do stuff like all night Fulci screenings which was I still feel so spoiled yeah by having that but yeah it just it's like every year there's always so many surprises and this year it was straight bangers yeah oh yeah yeah it's it's wild how <laughs> Yeah, every movie they played this year was great. Like a great film. I mean, there was a few For the most like Yeah, I was going to say let's yeah, slow you know, down. We, yeah, pump the brakes. <laughs> we're going to we're going to get into the lineup. Right? This this episode is going to be kind of a uh, a nerdy sports center, you know. It's it's us sitting around. We just got back from the big game and we're <laughs> we're definitely not as well dressed as the guys on sports center. We look like shit, folks. We look bad. But honestly, it's this event gives us life to go on for another. I mean, I don't know. Josh is filled with life. He's a very, uh, he's a very lively guy. Sure. But, but but me and Sam, this like gives us another six months of just like juice. Yeah. You know? And then like in six months from now, when we're like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if we were dead? <laughs> but and then it's like, oh wait a second, we're six months away from the horathon. We can't something die. To, something to live yeah. for. And and X Fest and is... X Fest. Yeah, it's. We can't express just how fucking grateful we are that we have this this group, Exhumed Films, doing this just God work. Truly Absolutely. God work. All right. You, you guys want to just dive in? Jump right into it? Hell yeah. All right, Sam. Set us up. Movie number one. The clue is infamous and incredibly influential psychological thriller slash proto slasher. This is one of the few ones where I immediately knew. So we we should explain this. The 24-hour horrorthon, all the titles are secret. 
And so when you get there, you get a little program book and a hint sheet where it just gives you the order of the movies, the tentative running time, and you get a clue about the subgenre. And if you, you know, want to take part in, in this, you can fill out what you think the titles are, hand it in, the, the like top two or three people who guess win a bunch of prizes at the end. It's this cute thing that they do every year. But part of what can like make or break certain parts of Harathon for me is that the problem with the clue sheet, it's like I love being surprised <laughs> and going in not knowing what the movies are. But once I get it in my head that a certain movie is going to be something and it's not, it's like I almost can't yeah. enjoy whatever. Yeah. It, but the first one, I knew exactly what it was. I can't believe they opened with this. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's Michael Powell's seminal 1960 proto slasher, Peeping Tom. Look out. Look out. Look out. Take care. You are being watched. We repeat, take care. For you are now alone with a killer. We warn you, don't let him see the fear in your eyes. For this is what he seeks. And this is why he kills. Where are you? Where are you? Keeping fucking Tom. Yo, Josh, have you seen this movie before? Yes, I actually watched it within the past year for the second time. So I think this is my third time seeing it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much a perfect movie. I mean, it's one of those movies, I think we've talked before in earlier episodes, or at least I have rambled on about it, how 1960 is such an essential year in horror cinema. You have, you know, Mask of Satan, you have Psycho, you have Peeping Tom, movies that really changed how people thought of the genre and what people thought they could do. Like horror movies get a lot more serious in, yeah. in Hollywood oh, in 1960. Sure. Yeah. Before that, it's just kind of uh, relegated to B movies and pure you camp. Know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The monster of the week who is the, you know, bride of the atom, that kind of, you know, goofball affair, which we love. But yeah, like Sam was saying, 1960 just ushered in this game change. Yeah. This new era. And, and, so I have never seen Peeping Tom. This was my first time watching it. Wow. I Yeah, well, I, that's wild. <laughs> it is wild. I, I guess I've seen so many of those. Remember those like BFI, one top 100 scariest movie mm -hmm. countdowns? When I was a teenager, I watched a fucking million of those things. And for some reason, I had it in my head like, oh, yeah, Peeping Tom. I know that movie. I've seen that. Movie. I saw it when I was a kid. I have no short-term memory at all. Too many horse tranquilizers. But this movie... Holy shit. I, I was blown away by it. And it was hard not to think about Psycho while watching it. That's, mm -hmm. that's the most obvious comparison. Not just because they came out in the same year, but because... There's a lot of parallels. And my, my um, immediate take afterwards was that Psycho is a movie that is arguably gorier. It's a little more uh, shocking in terms of what they show you. But Peeping Tom is sleazier like it's dirtier it's it's you get in the head like you follow this gross almost like a proto incel type who's obsessed with filming everything and getting and getting everything documented and it just it felt so modern you felt, know yeah it felt very late 60s uh, i was thinking at least in terms of content yeah and 
for those of you who aren't familiar with him, Michael Powell was part of a long-term filmmaker kind of collective with Emmerich Pressburger, an, an Austrian, and all of their movies, aside from Peeping Tom and one or two others right before it, all their movies they are co-credited on. It just says a film by the Archers, which is how I knew what the movie was the second the t- mm-hmm. the the credit came on screen, the production company credit. But Powell and Pressburger made some of the most important British art house films of the 40s and 50s. Things like Black Narcissus and The Red Shoes and... So when Michael Powell made this movie in 1960, people fucking freaked out and it pretty much ruined his career. Yeah, it's mean, it's nasty, and it like... It's so seedy. It's so seedy. And obviously, England, the UK, Britain, uh, they have a very storied history. They have a very storied history, but they have a very deep history of uh, making movies that you would think of as... Uh, a little posh, a little highbrow, a little, you know, nose in the air, pinky up. Lavish historical productions. Yes, yes, precisely. Which is why a movie like this... Sorry. <laughs> I'm just banging in my mouth. Very mind. excited. I'm tired. I thought the soundtrack. <laughs> a movie like this, it feels like a mid-70s American yeah. movie. A movie that would fit well yeah, in like yeah. a dirty New York City Oh yeah, thing, you know, but the fact this came out in the early '60s from from England, it's just it's wow. And it like Psycho has that really creepy child abuse element that grounds it and makes it feel like not like some campy supernatural horror movie, but like just real grim real life horror. There is no future for anyone who tries to befriend him. He invades the privacy of innocent people till the piercing eyes of his camera meet the terrified eyes of his victims. And with a compulsion akin to madness, he shoots the final fearful scene. I didn't realize that it ruined Michael Powell's career because I thought he did like aging consent and stuff like that after that. He did, but people were really upset and i think they just like didn't take him seriously after that like i don't think age of consent did that well hit. people were super upset i mean the content is really graphic for the time and, and sexual too and very sexual and, and and honestly it's the fact that it it is i mean obviously the title is peeping tom it's about voyeurism but it's a movie that makes the audience the voyeur I mean, just through sheer excellent filmmaking, it makes you feel like you're watching something you shouldn't be. And you are engaged in these acts as well. And it's just, it's gross. And it it feels like to me when I was saying it feels modern, I didn't didn't necessarily mean it feels like a mid 70s modern. It, It felt like you know, like, you know how in the U.S. we got fucking psychos every once in a while that like to film themselves do mm. disgusting things. It just like it felt to me like our current obsession with documenting everything and putting it out or, or just like needing it to be filmed in order to process it as being a real event. You know? video or it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It would. I 
this is something I hate to ever say out loud, but you could, I think, do a really interesting Peeping Tom remake with somebody just like filming everything on a camera phone. Now or... it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blurring that out. Don't put that into <laughs> fucking reality. Don't say that. <laughs> Peeping Tom. As I mentioned, though, there basically is a loose remake uh, directed by Wings Hauser. Not exactly a remake, but it, but it has a lot of what? a lot of parallels. The Art, Art of, dying. of Dying. The Art of Dying, oh. Wow, that does feel like a peeping Tom It's very movie. close. I would love to see Wings Hauser in a horror-thon. I don't think it's happened yet. Uh, a street asylum horror-thon? I or, thought that was X-Fest. Oh, they did... Yeah, um, I think you're right. No, they did... Uh, what's No, the big one. Um, What's that one really dirty movie? Like, that's like the biggest Vice one. Vice Squad? Vice Squad, yeah. Oh, okay. They did Vice Squad during an X-Fest. That was awesome. And that was like my introduction to Wings, was mm. seeing that at X-Fest. But uh, anyway, this movie... To set off the day, I mean, obviously, there is 15 fucking movies that we're going to watch over the course of 24 hours, and the the table setter, the mood setter, the one to, the first movie that you see of the day is Peeping Tom. It's just... It's almost too classy for Horrorthon, but last year we saw Eyes Without a Face, so... Yeah. yeah. That goes back to what I was saying about how it feels like their selections for films have perfectly changed with my my tastes and my sensibilities it's like oh yes this is the exact kind of movie i want to watch a week before halloween a great opener a great opener i feel like it really set the tone for the day we were talking about how there was it was a lot of pretty mature art kind of centric films yeah all right all right you guys want to move on to movie number two yeah which i think continues what we were saying because it's this really classy classic influential film that you would never expect to see at Harathon criterion release yeah but that has the this similar sort of like tone where the content is so seedy that it's almost surprising that it came out when it did yeah all right so movie number two the the hints that we were given was there are multiple film adaptations of this classic horror slash sci-fi story but this is the best one. And yes, this is the best adaptation of this story. Sam, what's the what's the title? Island of Lost Souls from 1932. And weirdly, it's one of two pre-code horror films that we would watch, which normally horror movies are only the 50s to the 90s-ish with some exceptions. So the fact that last year we saw Return of the Vampire, this great, underrated, little scene, Bela Lugosi, Dracula spinoff movie, like to then see Island of Lost Souls, it's just like unthinkable that they ever would have done this in the past. But I was so excited and I had no idea, like this didn't even pop in my mind. Yeah, this movie, Island of Lost Souls, is an adaptation of... H.G. Wells, right? Yep. H.G. Wells is The Island of Dr. Moreau, which I've I've never read the short story. Or it's so good. I, I, I bet. It's like a novella. But I've seen the... The other two? No, just the classic mm. 90s film. Which is a wild John Frankenheimer, one. right? And Richard Stanley and Richard started... Richard Stanley, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the hardware ding-dong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, started making it, and like, I guess someone got else... Got fired, had, yeah. Got fired, you know. He's a ding-dong. There's a documentary about it. The documentary is really interesting. Really good. 
Marlon Brando just being a complete fucking ham sandwich. And having seemingly a great time. Yeah. The yeah. only person on <laughs> set having a great time. Benicio del Toro plays the like the Bella Lugosi character no, with like that's, the, uh, Ron Perlman. Oh, is it Ron Perlman? Yeah. Oh my god. But I but I think Benicio is also in it. I think he's I just think playing so like too. a dog man kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah. He he often yeah. plays a dog man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean that movie, uh spoilers. Kind of a piece of shit movie. Not very it's such good. a mess. It's it's not uh it's not a good movie. But when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with it for some I don't know why. It was just a movie that was like in it's my a train head. Wreck. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like thought about it all the time. And I didn't even know that this existed. I I, I had no idea. The nineteen thirty two version? Yes, the Island of Lost Souls version. For some reason in my head, I had this movie kind of conflated with uh uh, what is it? Carnival, Carnival of Souls. Carnival of Souls, hmm. which I'm not a huge fan of. I've seen it oh, like four times. Amazing. This, wow, Island of Lost Souls. Such a great follow-up. Uh, a, a gorgeous film. Charles Lawton, you love to Really see hamming him. it up. And acting in the most obvious way that you can be as a queer-coded character yeah. in the 30s. Although we should say, if you're not familiar with early Hollywood, there's this period from the late 20s into like 32-ish, known as the pre-code years, because you could make much, much seedier, more violent movies, especially more sexual movies, before the Hayes production code snapped into place. And Island of Lost Souls, it's just like, he's making animals into people. Yeah. The movie isn't about bestiality but it's a movie that makes uh, you... it's strongly implied yes. yeah yes like when you're watching this movie it's hard not to imagine you know a little barnyard action if you know what i'm saying it, it puts these thoughts into your head and for a movie from the early 30s to make you think about fucking animals on a gross island <laughs> like that's awesome well and it's really transparent about the fact that once moreau's motivations are revealed about halfway in the only reason he wants to keep this shipwrecked guy there is so that he can fuck the one female. His greatest creation that, yes. al- that almost seems like a normal human. You know what it means to feel like God. The house, the house of pain. dirty classy movie this is and you were telling me something sam about charles lawton is who you said yes wonderful he's the guy who plays dr moreau and he is this like kind of doughy well manicured guy who is definitely queer coded as you know being this gay villain who is this mastermind of all these things or if not gay then like asexual he's he's pretty queer coded yes yes sometimes that sort of thing that old Hollywood did. I mean, not just old Hollywood. It it carried on for a very long time that villains in movies are effeminate. They're like, got a perfectly manicured mustache and, you know, titter when they laugh. And sometimes that kind of annoys me. It's like, oh yeah, okay, the the gay menace is striking again. How, How quaint of this movie to, you know, have that take. But you were telling me something about Charles Lawton that was really interesting, Sam. Oh, yeah. So Charles Lawton, if his name doesn't ring a bell, most people will know him from directing Night of the Hunter, which 
speaking of ruining people's careers, Hollywood hated it. He never worked again as a director. It broke his heart. Holy shit. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. That's a, he's, he's insanely talented. We'll we'll have to watch more of his, his movies from this period. He's in some great thrillers and kind of like horror adjacent films later in the forties, but he was married to Elsa Lanchester, the bride of Frankenstein herself, also a super talented actress. And, the general understanding is that they were both queer and like obviously loved each other, worked together as creative partners. And, but I, I think it's like, it was one of those circumstantial marriages that gave them both a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it let them operate in this world where a lot of the people in Hollywood, not a lot, but quite, yeah, no, a lot of people in Hollywood were gay but in order to operate in that world openly, you needed some sort of uh, a front. A beard like Marlena Dietrich mm. having a husband who lived in a different country and like they never saw each other. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Just so she could fuck whoever she wanted, men and women alike. God bless her. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, that's just such an interesting thing about this guy. And, and he's terrific in this film. He really, such a haunting performance because he's just so he has no morals no morals at all he just has and this he's del- he's delighted in his work yes he loves it he's like as if uh you know herbert west reanimator <laughs> was like a theater major was you played was saying? played by vincent price <laughs> yes it's, yeah yes it's, it's herbert west by way of vincent price i was it's, thinking vincent price was definitely inspired in some way by charles Lawton. oh totally and this is just such a great follow-up, I think, to, to continue on setting this tone of like... Keeping it seedy, but yeah. keeping, it keeping it classy, classy. art housey kind of more yeah. serious horror. And I think that this is why after two of these kinds of movies in a row, when you're curating these sorts of marathons, you need to, you know, get some curveballs coming in. And movie number three is... Oh, boy. Uh, just something that almost every year they have a movie like this. This is their uh, early in the day kaiju slot, if you will, or or giant monster slot. Yeah, the the hint is just giant monster movie, and for almost every single horrorathon, they've had this clue in this time slot, yes. like second or third. And it's it's one that I remember in my first horrorathon, I wasn't. A huge Godzilla fan like I, I like Godzilla movies but they weren't the ones that I was there for now I it's I can't wait it's, it's <laughs> this is kind of when the day really started for me you know like I think halfway through the movie we're gonna say the title in a second halfway through the movie I started getting a little emotional you know when those little twins started singing oh my god all they're right they're the best what were some of your guesses um, oh i, I guess this one yeah right. we get you did I, okay. I, I, this yeah, is yeah, this yeah. is what we we guessed okay. yeah we guessed for movie number three the iconic giant monster movie mothra Masuda. <laughs> oh my gosh it uh, like honestly it was when the day really hit me that like oh here we're here we're living it i was i was finally in the moment i wasn't just like vibrating with excitement to just be in my seat and like oh my god am i sitting correctly and is my popcorn good like, I'm, like i was done freaking out about being you know in the presence of gods at the horathon <laughs> and i was like oh shit i'm here with mothra <laughs> i don't know it just like anchored me in time 
I couldn't imagine them playing anything better, especially because Mothra... Like, Mothra's not a scary monster. It's not like no. King Ghidra or something. Mm -hmm. So it's this mix of, like, yes, you are watching a kaiju movie, but Mothra is also just so endearing, and the little twin fairy ladies that Mothra so comes adorable. to protect are so yeah. adorable. They they have musical numbers. It's They're waving at the camera, yeah. sm big smiles. Uh. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I don't know if this just this is just me being just jazzed about life right now talking. But while the movie was playing out, it was my first time watching it in many years. It it dawned on me. And once again, I am biased about just being in this moment. It dawned on me that Mothra is so quintessential, so important to kaiju cinema I mean, and I was thinking in my head almost more so than the original Gojira and Rodan, because this is the one that really establishes the the tropes that would go on to play out in every single movie that comes from henceforth. Also, this really sets the tone for the Showa-era Godzilla movies. Absolutely, absolutely. It It kind of dispatched with the somber realism and just like godzilla dying in the snow and godzilla's revenge <laughs> yeah, or, or, uh, the second godzilla not godzilla's revenge oh yes uh, yes godzilla raids again but mothra is one that just has this tone and you love mothra like yeah mothra is destroying the city but it doesn't make you feel as if like oh everyone's dying in the city it's like oh no the city's getting destroyed Woohoo! you know it's it it sets the tone and it does the thing where, like, first Mothra's a little pupa. You know, there's a little fucking... A, war a little glowworm wiggling <laughs> along. Yeah, you love to see it. And then and then Mothra is the beautiful goddess that she is. Oh, one thing I noticed. They refer to... This was an excellent print, by the way. Subtitled in the original Japanese language. Yeah, great not to see it dubbed. A couple times they refer to Mothra with uh, he, him pronouns. Uh, I just want to say, listen, I think that gender is a made-up construct. It's fucking bullshit. There is no such thing. It's just there to fucking, you know, sell you pink and blue products. <laughs> it's bullshit. But with that said, Mothra she, her. Mothra is fucking <laughs> she, her, okay? So you like, think it's just a translation error then? I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But I was like making me like, wait, what did they just say? Hey, for Mothra? What the fuck are they doing? What are they talking about? What is the bizarre spell that awakens Mothra? as these doll-sized girls call to the super god from captivity. Mothra, whose revenge is more devastating than any man-made weapon. Indestructible, all-powerful, indescribable. What kind of creature is this god monster, Mothra? The, this is my first time seeing Mothra. I'd say generally, this is the category that me and a few of my friends go find food at that this point. This is your lunch This movie. is my lunch movie because yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. really a kaiju person at all. But I would say this may be my favorite classic kaiju movie I've seen. This is a great entry drug to these movies because, I mean, they're just so imaginative. Like when you're on the island, like the way they do these forced perspective shots and every single time they cut to a truck or a car driving, 
it doesn't matter if it's about to be destroyed by a monster. That's a toy truck you're looking at. You know you're looking at a toy truck. Yeah, and, and that like and because <laughs> that's part of the joy. Yeah, exactly. So Whenever they drive up in a real car in these movies, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait whoa, a whoa. minute, pump the brakes here. <laughs> and the fact that Mothra's attack is that she flaps her wings. Like, Super wind. It's like Rodan. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, Rodan's got that, but just like fucking. Blowing around cars in a tornado vortex. You can tell it uh, weighs zero pounds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's so, so nice. I love this as the the slot that we get at this time when you're, you know, you're ready for a little goofball fun after two serious CD movies. And it's just such a great way to change the tone and to keep you in. It was, though... I think one of my one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the programming this year that on some things about it I loved other things about it I found a little frustrating was like normally the focus is on more fun movies and other than Mothra the first like half of the day is just like really serious pretty stuff. somber yeah yeah consistently and I feel like that is no better stated than in movie number four. Mm. Yeah. This might be the movie of the day for me. It's mine. Yeah. This was my first time seeing this. This was, this was a, a year where they played so many huge, great, classic movies. And it seemed as if they like went on my fucking letterbox page and saw that like I hadn't <laughs> fucking seen any of these movies. Uh, this was such a treat. Movie number four. Sam, what's the hint? Set us up. The hint is a cool, creepy, and erotic new wave horror favorite. I had almost no idea. The only thing I thought that it potentially could be is Der Fan, the the German sort of psycho slasher new wave neon movie. But I never in my wildest dreams thought that he was going to play The Hunger. There is a choice between mortality and everlasting life. Between ordinary emotion and unearthly passion. Between the everyday and the unimaginable. But there is a price. It is called The Hunger. Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, Susan Sarandon, The Hunger. Coming soon to a famous player's theater near you. Check your local listings. My guess for this slot, because the clue, like Sam said, was a cool, creepy, erotic, new wave horror movie. When I saw New Wave, I'm like... French New Wave? Yeah, which New Wave, man? Like, what Check New Wave? What New Wave is this going to be? And Sam says, aptly, New Wave is not capitalized. So it's just going to be like New Wave, the genre of music. And I was like, oh cool not not the genres can't be capitalized <laughs> yeah and i and for a second i was like i don't know maybe that's like reading into the small grammatical details too much but it's so hard when you get this list of hints not to read between every single line because a lot of times it's worded in such a way that it it doesn't throw you off the scent but sometimes they're trying sometimes to trick tr- you yeah, they're intentionally they're, trying to trick a you little sometimes. bit yeah. a little bit they can be a little cheeky with coming up with uh, some of these especially things. the trailers before the movies I, I don't think we said, but there's no actual break, but they do play like three to five minutes of trailers beforehand, and the trailers usually will give you a stronger and stronger idea of yeah. what's about to it's, play. It's funny how the second before each film starts, 
it feels as if everyone has just been like buzzing and vibing and every yeah. and, and like it's starting to be everyone's whispering like oh no it's going to be the hunger it's going to be the hunger you know so suddenly i know it's not my guess for this slot was vamp mm. and just before it started like oh yeah it's going to be the hunger like I was like, oh, of course it is. You know, you yeah. can just sense it the second before it starts, just what it's gonna be. Yeah, the three trailers usually make yeah. it pretty clear, or they'll or they'll do the exact opposite and throw you completely off the side. Yes, yeah. it's so rude. It is, but uh, there's no real breaks between these films. They just play trailers, and at this theater, they don't even turn the fucking lights on between the movies. So like, in the past they have. Yeah, so well, it was, one it was at the international rough. house. Like they were like kick the lights on for a second but here they don't even do that so you're just like festering for a day in your filth all of your like (laughs) spilled food and wrappers and cans are just like you're just living in a pile of concessions (laughs) and honestly i love it (laughs) anyway okay we can um move on to the hunger what a fucking vibe tony scott the, the best Scott. The premium Scott. The debatable. No, 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 no. Tony Scott is the Scott. Ridley Scott made two good movies. Oh. He did. He did. Josh is gonna fight you. <laughs> He's just gonna smile wider. He's the best <laughs> guy in the world. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Ridley Scott made Alien. Alien's great. Alien's great. Blade it's, Runner. And and, and Blade, Blade Runner is also great. Uh, and that's it. That's it. But the hunger is so good. It's just so fucking cool. It's my favorite vampire movie. Wow. Like it's a great American vampire movie. Yeah, it's a movie that I've had sort of a shifting relationship with. When I saw it as a teenager, I didn't like it. I thought it was slow and boring, which is weird because also as a teenager, I liked Jean Rollin movies, which this this feels like John Rollin by way of William Friedkin almost. It has this That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It has this sort of American immediacy of everything being very real, but also like the dreamy pacing of Jean Rollin. And also the serious themes. I mean it's basically about David Bowie being the partner of Catherine Deneuve, who I thought it was awesome, and we can talk about this more a little bit later, but yesterday was Catherine Deneuve's birthday. So I didn't it's, realize that. it's nice that we got a, a dose of her. But David Bowie's partners with Catherine Deneuve's character Miriam and they're, you know, living this idyllic hottest people ever lifestyle where they go to goth clubs and find hot couples to take home and then they kill them and drink their blood there are no there are no fangs that you see really but it's it turns pretty quickly into this serious movie about grief and fears of aging and death and so i think when i the the second time i watched it which was not too long it was around the time david bowie died which was also like right after my grandparents died and watching it as a movie about grief it totally changed how i felt so this being my third time revisiting it it's i just love it yeah i i didn't watch it growing up because of what you said my my friends who were fellow horror movie fans always said like oh it's not really even a vampire movie it's like it's not even that cool you know and like i was like okay i don't need to see this like 
just like sexy, arty movie that maybe my parents would like, you know? I don't care. I was an idiot. Still am, but I was then too. I feel like my end initially was David Bowie just being an obsessive of oh, wanting yeah, to watch yeah. every fucking movie that he's in. He is such and then a good actor. initially the first time watching him being upset that he's only in part of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I assumed he was gonna be in the whole thing. And then when his character, you know, starts really deteriorating, I was like, damn, how's he going to jump back? You're like, wait, one? we're like 30, 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah, and he's like the, gone. And it was not the movie I expected. I don't know how I went this long, not realizing that this was like an erotic lesbian romance flick mm -hmm. with Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. Like if I had known that, I would have watched this day one. And it is so, so erotic and just dreamy. And the editing is so perfect. It's, it's so good. Tony Scott is someone who I have uh, shit-talked for a while. I used to consider him the lesser Scott, and mm. I don't even like Ridley Scott that much. I mean, all of his like over-the-top proclivities that you see later in his career in movies like Man on Fire or Unstoppable or, you know, his later career movies that are just so... Denzel on a train. Yes. They're, they're like... <laughs> it's like five movies. Yeah, they're flashy car commercial, just like whip you around jump cut tricky angle like the whole all his movies his later career are shot like uh, like oliver stone's natural born killers where yeah. it's just herky jerky psycho well the, the first 10 minutes of the hunger is kind of like that it almost feels like you're watching a music video yeah. yes in, crazy rapid editing and cross-cutting between the best way yeah. yeah i think the pace is so dreamy that when those like quick kind of edits happen they flow so nicely it is his most realized vision. It is such a great movie. And it makes me now, now that I am now changing my tune on Tony Scott, I can't wait to rewatch his films and, and to give him a closer look. Yeah, this, this one definitely made me feel like we got all these movies that... So something that didn't really happen for me this year that I was a little bummed about is I feel like in past years they've gone more obscure so there are usually movies that I've never seen and sometimes never even heard of that they introduce me to that I wind up loving but having things like The Hunger and Peeping Tom and Island of Lost Souls it's like these are some of my favorite horror movies Yeah, and getting to see them on these gorgeous 35 millimeter prints and like with that particular crowd it just it's it's magic it's a gift. it recontextualizes them yes yeah. and and yeah like i was saying before how year one when you look at the lineup it's just like this banger from the 80s this like you know gory pieces. 70s movie yeah every every movie and now that we're in year 15 it's almost as if they kind of mirror that where they are banger after banger after banger but they're kind of movies but they're that, like classics yeah that now these are the movies that i want and it's just it's so cool to feel like i've i've matured with their programming in a way i don't know it's just yeah yeah, yeah it's great and P this seemed to go down pretty well this was one where you could feel like after the 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 goofy fun of moth where the audience is clapping and cheering every time a toy car gets slammed against a fucking building the tone shifted and you could hear a pin drop in the theater. Like yeah. everyone kind of like any chitter chatter was gone for the, the runtime of this. It's movie. not the kind of movie that uh, really allows for like laughter. And uh, I, mean, I, I mean, people are going to laugh no matter what at every single yeah. movie, but 
I feel like this is the kind of movie that kind of demands attention and silence and respect. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, it was interesting to have this at the dinnertime slot because it's pretty serious and slow in parts and very like music video interludes where plot isn't really happening you're just sort of seeing textures yeah. and it's abstracted movement. that's true it could, could be a good like 1 a.m movie yeah. yeah yeah this is i mean this is such a great movie that it could fit into a lot of yeah. a lot of slots the timeless beauty of Catherine Deneuve, the cruel elegance of david bowie the open sensuality of susan sarandon combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear Haunting, mysterious, sensual, strange, perverse, riveting. The hunger. All right. Uh, Josh, would you care to set us up for movie number five? So it's a disturbing depiction of a descent into madness from a controversial filmmaker. So I was convinced that this was Polanski's The Tenant. And because of the running time they put where it's two hours long, that's how long the tenant is. And so I think a lot of people were like, oh, yes, that's what it, we're going to see. Literally the guy who won uh, the most correct uh, guess the tenant because of that. And they were like, well, you were wrong about that. Harry's or I mean, uh, I'm Dan or whoever does the, the, the hint sheet, Jesse, they they have done this in the past. So you're I think four or five. I think it's year five. Oh, I remember this. The hint for the eight o'clock movie was just zombie movie and the run times were 90 minutes so i'm like okay what's a 90 minute zombie movie maybe it's day to dead maybe it's fucking da 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 and i'm outside like smoking a blunt with my boys and like getting all high and someone texts they're playing dawn of the dead get in here and i look at my phone and i was like oh no they're not so they're they're fucking with me like i didn't believe them and then a second later i was like Wait a second. What if they are? And I run back inside, and it's Dawn of the Dead. The greatest movie of all time is playing, and they lied. Yeah, they just straight up lie about the, about the the runtime sometimes. Yes, exhumed films. We we love them so much, but they're a bunch of they're, they're bald faced liars. <laughs> Which was something like Dawn of the Dead. I think you're so positively surprised, mm -hmm. but in this case, so everybody was right. It was Polanski, but it was Repulsion instead of The Tenant. Which I think Repulsion is great, but it's not one that I enjoy rewatching a lot. It's and, a hard watch. Yeah. And so coming off of The Hunger, which is slow and really serious and somber, having it be another movie of the same tone was, I think, a little bit of a misstep, but... It also meant we got a Catherine Deneuve double feature on her birthday. Yeah, I it, it totally is. And I'm someone who, you know, I, I can only say I'm an idiot so many times in one episode before uh, it, it gets <laughs> annoying. But I am not the biggest Polanski fan. And not because he's a controversial filmmaker for whatever reason. Uh, it's because I just, I don't really vibe with the guy so much. Repulsion, on the other hand, is the one that the way that the movie gets in your head and it doesn't make you feel good. It makes no, you it's feel gross. Really, yeah. really bad. Like you're being violated at all times. And it's like, 
Uh, such unrelenting a, too in that unrelenting. way. Unrelenting. And and like you said, Josh, it's a hard watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's it just it really blows my mind this choice to do these more serious, somber art house horror movies. And Repulsion is one that I think this was the best possible way to watch it because like the print looked gorgeous and people were just really into it, but it is definitely a little bit of an endurance test in that middle section where she spends so much of the movie just like laying in the apartment, staring into space, almost catatonic. And her performance is so great. This is her first like big serious role. And it's just, it's iconic. I think it was right before the uh, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, right? Yeah. Where she then became, became like a massive star. Understandably. This is Carol Ledoux. Young, beautiful, desirable. Men found her irresistible. But something is happening to her. Something that she doesn't quite understand. And soon she will be swept up in a frantic fury of repulsion. Repulsion. A frightening film that takes the everyday world and distorts it. I think one of the reasons why it really affects me, when you look at every single other person's interactions with her, like especially every fucking man that talks to her or touches her, like even if it's just like them touching her shoulder, they're just the way that they talk to her. It's just... Like, how do you fucking keep a grip on reality if reality is just constantly fucking with you, never asking for your consent at all Mm -hmm. or or considering that everyone's ignoring her condition completely. And to me, this is a perfect mirror image to Peeping Tom, which is a movie where, where we spend an hour and a half with this fucking creepy dude and we like just get into his proclivities and we get into his mind of being this like gross man. And it makes you inhabit the mind of a voyeur creepo. But he, but he's not just straight up gross. I mean, him having this developing relationship with his neighbor played by Anna Massey, it really humanizes him and it helps you realize that he's not just a creep. He just has gone his whole, like badly abused by his father as a child went his whole life seemingly without any social relationships and but it's like he respects her and treats her well and it makes you see him as a person whereas yeah. Carol in Repulsion she almost doesn't even have a personality she just is put upon like yeah. like you were saying and that's something that I think is a topic nobody ever wants to talk about because of how unpleasant it is. But this issue that Polanski is a rapist, but makes all these interesting films about actual rape or sexual assault, like in repulsion in a way where it feels like it's such, it's not like glorifying the act. Like these aren't exploitation movies. It, it suggests that everything that is happening to her is absolutely horrifying and you feel so sorry for her living in this like traumatized state where people are just not they don't ever see her and see what's happening for sure what you said about how it she almost doesn't have a personality you're not wrong 
But what she is, is she is a vessel for your anxieties and your like the ways that you feel about people around you who definitely do not have your best interests at heart, who are not to be trusted. And she is a vessel for those feelings that I think a lot of people have, especially people who have experienced abuse. And most people, not all, but a lot of people who are then later in life abusers are people who have experienced abuse. This does not let them off the fucking hook. No, it just... Polanski, stay the fuck out of the United States. Fuck you, dude. But also... I mean, he's also a Holocaust survivor who grew up in an unimaginable situation, basically like living on his own in a field. To completely discount everything that he has gone through in his life and just... That just ends the conversation, you know? And and to... I'm not against fucking canceling some celebrities who are total fucking scumbags. Like, fuck you. You shouldn't have a career. You know, like, honestly, I think that, like, yeah, Polanski's made great films. I think after he raped someone, he shouldn't have had a career. You know, I, I, that's what I think. I think he continued making great films. But, like, you're out, dude, you know, at the very least. But also, to shut down the conversation, it's not helpful. It doesn't make anything better. Well, and I think one of the interesting things about the way that plays into horror movies is so many horror movies are about this thing theme that sort of violence begets more violence and like so many killers in movies have some tragic backstory yeah. and it's so easy in fiction when you see a uh what do you call it when jamie lannister is a good guy later in later seasons of game of thrones it's the the like about face uh, the redemption arc oh yeah people love fucking redemption arcs only in fiction not a reality well it's like are they possible in reality, yeah, no. I think is a big question that everyone grapples with. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's certainly... yeah. We're we're getting a bit philosophical and <laughs> yeah, serious whatever. for a horathon <laughs> episode. Yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're tired. <laughs> so I was gonna say, uh, for me, it's the, it was the the scariest movie of the day. Not that many of the movies really are scary. They're all kind of there. There were some scary movies. Yeah, there, I would. For, sure. for, for me, it was this. And um, I feel like it's incredibly influential on a lot of movies. Like the one oh, that I was yeah. thinking for the first time while watching it was Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Oh, totally. It's definitely like directly influenced in a lot of like specific image- images and things that happen. Yeah, you see Repulsion's DNA throughout cinema history for sure. It's awesome because it's like not always overtly a horror movie. It's like a sort of a thrill, menacing thriller about... A Descent into Madness, but there's all this horror movie imagery, like there are... Hands come out of the walls, and the walls are splitting open. It's just... Well, so, Ah. one of the things I love about Polanski is he frequently dips into surrealism and the fantastique, sometimes in smaller ways, but that is right from Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. It's like an intentional surrealist reference, but done in a way that doesn't feel out of place it feels like this real horrifying manifestation of what she's experiencing it's it's a great film it sure is yeah and honestly uh going from that movie it's really hard to watch repulsion and then be like all right moving on but you know in the spirit of things we got uh, a lot of movies to get to all right movie number six sexy surreal giallo from a master of the genre Obviously, the master of the genre is 
Not Lucio Fulgi. Sergio Martino. It's Sergio Martino, which is why I was so convinced it was going to be all the colors of the dark. Because apparently they already they they showed the what's it called Mrs. Mrs. Ward. Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward yeah. was one of the trailers. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I'm sorry to reverse things. Before the Polanski flick, before Repulsion, they played a trailer for a double feature trailer for The Odd Couple and Rosemary's Baby, which it was I hilarious. Guess played on a double bill together as like first you scream and then you laugh and it's Rosemary's Baby and The Odd Couple. It was a funny self-aware trailer. Oh, it was, amazing it was really amazing. But anyway, uh, this movie, the, the Giallo film that we watched was not All the Colors of the Dark. It was not from Sergio Martino. It was... Lucio Fulci's Lizard in a Woman's Skin, one of my absolute favorites and such an interesting follow-up to Repulsion because Lizard in a Woman's Skin similarly has these like weird surreal scenes that feel like they come out of nowhere and these dream sequences and but it's also about a woman's descent into madness, you think, for yeah. a lot of the film. But the cheekiest fucking thing here, which I absolutely adore, is referring to Lucio Fulci as a master giallo filmmaker. I mean, it's <laughs> how many has he done? Um, you could argue three. he's done. Yeah. So there's lizard in a woman's skin, the psychic you could count. Oh, right. Four. Right. Uh, don't torture a duckling one yeah. on top of the other, but like out of the sheer number of movies he's made, maybe 25% of them are. Jolo. Right. Yeah. And, and because he's so commonly referred to as, you know, the grand meister of gore or like, you know, a, a godfather of gore. I know that's Rush Gordon Lewis, but <laughs> He's they share it. He's the gore man. He's yeah. the guy who is, you know, guts are puking up, eyeballs are getting splintered. Zombies just falling apart in front of you. Exactly. Like when you think of Fulci, you think of haunting, dreamlike, gory images that just are burned in your head. And calling him, I mean, they're not wrong. One on top of the other, that's a really early Giallo film. Or. No, I'm sorry. What's the what's the really early one? Is it is it this movie? No, the it's it's 69, I think one on top of the other is, which is pretty early. It's before the that 1970 uh Bird with the Crystal Plumage kickoff. Yeah. But he has such an interesting approach because so one thing I will say about this movie, it's like if you're a big fan of it, I feel like you like it because of how surreal and strange it is. But the plot is not particularly coherent, and yeah. sometimes it's not very easy to follow. Yeah, no, but th that's like something that we love about Fulci is that he's got these movies that he, he's vibing. You're, I was just gonna say you, have, you gotta just vibe with it. You're you vibing. Can't, you're, you're not. You're not like trying to follow the plot. Mm -mm, mm -mm. He's got movies that are like real. I don't want to say stoned guy energy, but it's like someone who. Everyone around him smoking weed, and he's got a little contact high, and he's making a weird movie. You know, that's that's Fulci's vibe. And for a giallo film, where one of the most important aspects is like who done it, you're you're putting all the pieces together, you're watching things extra close to see if you can pick up on some clues to kind of have that like contact high, you know, vibe. It's just it's weird. Among the annals of the abnormal, there is no more erotic a nightmare than the strange story of Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Exhumed Films. Fucking kings. This was an Italian print of this movie. 
it had to have cost a fortune because this is a very rare film. And what they do is they they have subtitles, digital subtitles. They're projecting onto the screen live, and they have to manually kind of like click over to each one. I didn't realize they were doing. There was yeah, Dan was sitting up there advancing the subtitles manually. Ah, uh, an absolute hero. Like the fact that yeah, you. Uh, it's so nice that they do this. <laughs> like just a labor what of a love. gift, truly. And one of two movies we saw tonight where he had to do that. Yeah, I mean. It's it's clearly a lot of work, and and we we appreciate it so much. Uh, I have a question for both of you. So since I'm such a huge lizard and a woman skin fan, I it seems to be one that is kind of divisive, even among Jalo fans or Fulci fans. So what did you both? Was it your a? Was it your first time seeing it? And b? What did you think? It was my second time seeing it. I think I watched it probably like a decade ago or so, <clears throat> but I, I only caught about half of it because I cut out partway through to see my friend's band play. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. They were they were co- they were <laughs> they were coincidentally playing like a block away, and I hadn't seen them in a long time. So I was like, I, I have to go. Yeah, Josh is so popular that he can be in some <laughs> fucking podunk suburban town, and there's a touring band playing at like an Irish pub. They're like, oh wow, yeah, I know everybody around here. <laughs> But but do you how do you feel about the film though? Are you, you I mean the 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 probably hour or forty five minutes that I saw of it was beautiful. I thought, like like you were saying, I was not able to follow the plot really, for the most part. You do your best um, and just kind of give up at some point. Yeah. But but the, yeah, the the imagery is so visceral that that you're not really gonna forget it. So and that Ennio Morricone score, oh, beautiful, it's so yeah. Good. Oh, it's so good. So did you, as the resident Jalo hater? Not Jalo. You are a Jalo hater. Okay. Okay. I. Yeah, what did you think? So, I don't love Jalo films. I prefer slasher movies. I, I, I don't. I want to turn my brain off when I'm watching these kinds of stabby movies. Like, I, I like the, the beautiful imagery of You're Jalos. not looking for the whodunit. I'm not there to solve a mystery. I. It's the least interesting thing to me with these kinds of movies. And I just think. I don't know. Shallow films, it's always like, you know, it's like two detectives that you don't care about just talking, you know? And every once in a while, there's a beautiful murder scene that's like, you know, just gorgeous to look at. And then we're back to nobody's talking. Anyway, this one, I actually liked a lot more than I expected. I I think I'd seen it years and years ago, but I have no recollection of it. And I think because I wasn't trying to follow it, I was just vibing vibing along and yeah I, I i definitely really dug it but i'm not not a convert my time is coming i know at some point i'm gonna see some movie you know who knows what it's gonna be i'm gonna watch house of laughing windows or something and they'll be like wow jala movies i gotta watch every fucking one now you know at some point that's gonna happen but today is not that day the other one that we thought it was gonna be other colors of the dark is is like the one jala that i really love um, not that I I, I like great. most I like like quite a few but I yeah it's the only one that like I come back to over and over again I can't wait for my time it's you know? it's one that if possible I mean we just got a fancy new TV so maybe it would be fine but it's one that's so gorgeous and also has some sort of surreal sequences that it's you if you could see it in a the theater that's the way 
I want to do a, a Jalo episode, and I feel like to prepare, we got to watch like ten fucking Jalo movies Which in a row. I'm always down with. Yeah, yeah. Our, th- that time is definitely coming. All right, all right, all right. Moving along. I am so excited for movie number seven. This is the one that, before this event started, I had one guess. Before we even got the the hint sheet, the list of clues, I had a guess for a movie they were going to play. I just felt in my heart that we were going to get this movie. And as soon as I got this list of hints, I went down the all the hints. I was like, okay, where where is the clue that is the clue for the movie that I just know in my heart they're going to play? And I get to clue number seven, which is a late era. It says late era Hammer Films fun. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Which would have been amazing. Haven't seen it. Oh, Oh my God. God, It's so good. It's Shaw Brothers by way of Hammer. It's like it's a crazy Shaw Brothers movie. Yeah, it's a co-production. with Peter Cushing killing like fucking vampires it's so so sick like what a crossover but instead we got 1971's twins of evil the devil has sent me twins of evil the most fearsome females in horror history one good one evil what do you see (gasps) we are the undead immortal Seek out the devil worshippers. Spine-chilling, heart-stopping terror in Twins of Evil, rated R. I am a big fan of, but Hammer, I would say there are certain things that routinely don't play at Harathon. Classic car from the 30s is in that category. We've barely gotten any like Vincent Price movies, and they're almost never Hammer films. Yeah, shockingly. So getting a Hammer movie was great, especially unless you're a completist like I am. I just love Hammer movies. Like I can acknowledge if they're flawed or not even really good, but I just still love them. Or paint by numbers or whatever. Yeah. 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 There's there are definitely some rough later Hammer movies. But this one, it's like they they nailed this formula of continuing the Karnstein trilogy, which start, which started basically with Vampire, Vampire Lovers. Lovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like they're they they made the Dracula series, but then they have this sort of interconnected spinoff series that we'll have to do an episode oh, on one I, day. I, love them. I honestly. I mean, we just got done watching all the Hammer Dracula movies. We still really want to. We well, yeah, we're going to talk about them soon. Yes, we're going to do a little episode on them because they're they're terrific. I think I prefer these. The Karnstein yes, spinoff. It's, it's the yeah. Vampire Lovers, Twins of Evil, Lust for a Vampire is the second one. Oh, I haven't seen but, that. Oh, well, is, is, is Vampire Circus or Nightmare Circus in there? Vampire so, Circus. Vampire right? Circus, you could definitely connect to this series. Also, Brides of Dracula. Oh, the, the second Dracula. The flick. second Dracula flick is the one that starts it all. And there's a direct sequel to Brides of Dracula called Kiss of the Vampire oh. that no one ever talks about. But basically, this whole side vampire series, the main theme is based on Sheridan Le Fanu's story, Carmilla, which is incredible. You should read it. It predates Dracula. But 
this series sort of follows the Karnstein family as they get reincarnated and get killed yeah. and have lesbian relationships. But they it also explores this idea that in Europe and in England, there's this like class of aristocrat who is so bored by wealth that they become Satanists and become part of this like vampire cult. Yeah. And yeah. I I love it's so cool. I love it. There's there's one bit in this in this flick where uh, a character gets like bit and then they're a fucking vampire a second. Within later. like Within thirty second. seconds. They, they get yeah. bit and now they're a fucking vampire. So anyway, uh because I went in with this guess that this movie was going to be the great legend of the seven golden vampires, the Shaw brothers hammer crossover flick. When the title card comes up and it's twins of evil, it's not the movie that in my heart I knew it was going to be. And I really wanted, I built up in my head. I'm all fucking like jazzed. When I saw twins of evil come up, I was, I was like, Oh, Hmm. Twins of evil. (laughs) And, and like had this moment of like kind of, quiet desperation like oh no oh no it's not the movie that, that, that was like me and and uh repulsion i was mm-hmm. like it was like anything that's not because the tenant is m- my favorite polanski film yeah, i wrote a book on i'm i'm still writing a book on it hopefully that will be done one day but like because i was so fixated on wanting it to be the tenant which has a similar tone to repulsion so it's yeah. like not it's like not but you're but, not getting a consolation prize, but with Twins of yeah. Evil. Here's the thing. I mean, 15 minutes into this movie, I was like, oh, wait a second. Twins of Evil is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. This is one of those Hammer movies that early on I wasn't a huge Hammer fan. And then Twins of Evil was part of the set of movies that I saw that made me change my tune. Because this movie has buckets of red blood throughout the whole thing, spurting red blood. The greatest, you know, menagerie of bare-chested women to flash around it's just it's a movie that you're like whoa this is so fucking cool it's so hot peter cushing has this like gross pilgrim witch finder general fucking (laughs) rampant misogyny like let's burn these hussies and honestly i love peter cushing i love when he's a good guy he's not yeah he doesn't get to play a villain that often yeah i mean I would say it's an even split. I mean, well, yeah, I guess Baron Frankenstein is yeah, his yeah. Frankenstein is fucking and a bunch evil. of movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love when he's a villain because he's just clearly having a great time a doing great it. Time and he's fucking he's evil in this, but he's also like less evil than the vampires. So it's just it's such an interesting movie, and it's and this print is probably the last time. That this print's gonna get shown. Yeah, it was all pink. It, and, it was yeah. so so pink, and I want to say, was this the one where about halfway through, uh, it melted? Oh yeah. The other thing was like whoa 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 whoa, and like the the print melts. They they had to you know reset it, jump ahead, do some to magic. Like, you know the, the the next reel, and I, I mean I'm not a projectionist. I don't really know how a lot of this stuff works. But my guess is, you know how when you're watching a film print, sometimes all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they'll just jump three minutes ahead or like a minute ahead or something like that. Just like, bleh, 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 and then we're a minute ahead out of the blue. Like there wasn't a real change, but suddenly we're a minute ahead. I think that this is when a print like this melts or something happens, it deteriorates, and they need to restitch it to the next bit. to re- They repair the reel. That that's when you get those jumps. I don't know. That's my I, guess. I, I think so. Yeah. Who knows? 
but yeah, what a, a pleasure and a privilege it was to see one of, maybe not the last screening of this film, but one of the final public exhibitions of this this print. And <laughs> I mean, there was a time like towards the end where I was like, damn, I bet this looks a little nicer on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. Because like Hammer films are gorgeous, but like also we're watching a piece of history here. And it's yeah, just, that's, that's what I like. That's what it's all about. Did you, I don't think I've ever asked you how you feel about Hammer. What, what did you, what did you think? Well, I was going to say I, I um, did a John Hope marathon last year. Oh, wow. And I, and so I was going to say, I love uh, like the legend of hell house and he, and he did, um, Watcher in the Woods. Oh, I didn't realize that the was Incubus, him. I, I love American Watcher Gothic. A lot of really good horror movies. Hammer, I'm not the biggest fan of in general, but I gave myself a goal for this past October to watch every horror collaboration that Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing did, wow. which is 17 movies, and I had already seen five of them. So I like tore through the rest of them, watched a bunch of the Dracula ones, or not a bunch, handful of the Dracula ones that you guys watched. I have most of them. I do feel like they're, they're too, like I said, paint by numbers for me to like really connect to, but the ones that I do love like twins of evil, I really love. And I, and I feel like, and then my, my favorite one is actually straight on till morning, which we talked about, I, which, which doesn't really feel like a, a hair movie at all. It feels like a Jalo almost. That's something I would really love to do an episode on. There are a couple of British serial killer movies from around this period. Like I start counting is another one that feel like, the opposite of hammer like they sort of came out of nowhere they could be new hollywood yeah uh, i love the later hammer movies that's when they're they're throwing whatever they fucking can at the wall and they're it's seeing trying different sticks. things yeah and and they get a little edgier bloodier they're willing to sh- like they get weirder they too get weirder yeah. and and meaner yeah they feel like more like exploitation movies but they still have that level of class they're holding on to of like oh we are a great british company you know and it's like their pinky is still in the air while they're like throwing vampire blood all over some like big breasted lady i love i love the boobies in these movies so much I mean, you're not alone. No, they're great. I mean, like, Hammer movies are, are like, I feel like the cleavage is one of the best characters in these films. <laughs> like, I can't take my eyes off of Peter Cushing, but every once in a while, I do. And I'm looking... <laughs> you still have to see some of the really atmospheric black and white 60s thrillers, which are great and are definitely seedier without having any nudity. Yeah, I mean, we watched Cash on Demand last Christmas, and I can't wait to get down with some more of those early, early Hammer productions. The coffin opens and terror reaches out from beyond the grave as the twins of evil evoke the power of vampirism and witchcraft. Twins of evil. They use the satanic power of their bodies to turn men and women into their blood slaves. Twins of evil. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parents. Moving along as quickly as we possibly can because we are fucking tired. We we just did this 24-hour horror movie marathon. We came home. We closed our eyes for about an hour and a half. And we're like, okay, let's have the microphones. Let's, uh... And except me. I was like, I can't do it. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just, I can't. Sam looked like uh, Uncle Frank in the beginning of Hellraiser. Like, when he's, like, starting to come out of the floorboards. He's like, we can't record. We can't. We need blood in order to go on. It's Frank. It's Uncle Frank. No. You remember. No. I just said, come to daddy. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. All right. All right. That's enough of a uh, enough that bit. banter. Uh, movie number. Where are we at? Eight movie number eight. We're, we're at eight. Okay. Number eight uh, is a supernatural shocker that serves as a spiritual successor and pseudo sequel to a popular Italian horror series. This could have been a number of things because Italian horror movies. Have a lot of spiritual, spiritual successors. Yeah, successors. You got La Casa, you got Demons, you got... Uh, yeah. So many of them. There's fucking beyond, 55 beyond zombie the door. movies. Well, so this is where I got into trouble. So usually there is a movie for me where I'm just like, okay, I can't do this. And this was my breaking point because I was so convinced that it was going to be Beyond the Door 2, which is Baba's shock, that when... We realized it was uh, Suave's The Church. I was like, how dare they? Yeah. How dare this not be beyond the door, too? But the thing is with Suave's The Church, which is one that I saw ages ago when it first came out on on DVD, I I liked it then, but I remember thinking like, okay, this is like a later Italian horror film. It doesn't quite have the the zippy 80s pep of uh, demons. Uh, It... You know, it, it it didn't blow me away when I saw it then, but also I didn't really have a huge taste for Suave, who he's has, the greatest. He is so great. I, have you seen the sect? Have I seen the sect? No. That's my that's my favorite one. So that's the only one I haven't seen. Oh wow, wow! I would love to watch that. It's incredible. I think that he is. I mean, obviously, this is a stupid opinion, but I think he is the last great Italian genre director he is someone who you can trace the through line from bava to him and he he has a lot of the same proclivities as bava or argento or fulci and it doesn't feel like he is riffing on them you know how a lot of times when you see a filmmaker they're like oh he's kind of doing like fucking ty west he's like oh he's doing like an old throwback slow burn 70s he's like these directors but he's just He's a pale imitation. No offense if you're listening, Ty West. I think you're great. But he's a fucking pale imitation of better directors. This feels like he's a successor of these directors. And it's not that he's better or worse. He's doing his own thing. He's an auteur. He's among them. He sits at the table with them. He's not just eating the scraps at their feet. Yeah. Like he, Ty West. He's wonderful. Although, I have to say... so. The church is one that I hadn't seen since probably college, and I didn't love it then, and I still don't love it now. Oh, you're fucked up. You're fucked up. I love Sam. it. This movie's awesome. This was so like I like it, but there's something about I don't know. There's just something about it that like like I'm obsessed with stage fright. I think that's oh, his best film. That's, that's his best film. Yeah. And he, I think, is great at doing these movies, which is a a trope that I love of the pressure cooker, where characters are trapped in a space for the movie's runtime, which Stage Fright also is. But I don't know. I think it's just like, I don't like any of the characters and it's too all over the place. Yeah, I I love just how off the rails it gets. And it also is kind of scary. To me, this is the best sequel to Demons. I've only seen the first three, which is... Mm. This is considered Demons 3, right? Is that what this is? Three or four? I think four. It has that, like, we are stuck here. And then, like, at one point you realize, like, oh, even if they can get out, 
they can't get out. They are they are stuck here in forever. And it is scary, you know, when you're like, oh, there's no hope. I mean, and even though it has this like fun, psychotronic, crazy, you know, surreal vibe, yeah, you're stuck, you're trapped. And it, it's like Return of the Living Dead, how that's a fun movie, but it's also kind of scary because you're like, oh, oh yeah, it's hopeless mm-hmm. here. And I, I love this movie. It, it doesn't feel like a, sh- I mean, I'm not going to shit on Italian cinema of the 90s. But a lot of 90s Italian cinema has this made-for-TV-in-not-a-good-way kind of feel. And this just, I don't know. I I, I loved it. I, I, I'm i kind of bummed you didn't, Sam. I mean, this was also a movie where I took, like, one or two breaks and just, like, walked around for a minute. You but I, I, watched, I watched most of it, and... I don't know. I I would say from this like late 80s period, I prefer Argeno's opera and Suave's stage fright. And I I don't hate this movie by any means. I just like wish I loved it more. And I also am still mad that it wasn't beyond the door too. Yeah. It's, so <laughs> it's a fair criticism. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so hard. When we get the list of hints and you fill out your ballot, it's so hard not to get attached to your your picks <laughs> which which i definitely don't do for every boomie some of them i can't think of anything yeah. immediate but yeah but our next choice is one that i knew immediately what it was i was right and i was so hyped about it all right set us up josh what is movie number nine unpleasant unsettling psychological horror inspired by a gruesome true story for mary it was only the beginning for christine it was already too late for Dolly, the worst was yet to come, and only Mrs. Cobb knew what he would do next. Sometimes a story you don't want to believe is true. Crimes so brutal that the newspapers refuse to print their terrifying details. Deranged. Rated R. I think, yeah, this was one that we guessed right. So this was the 1.30 in the morning slot and it was perfect perfect uh and the movie in question is jeff gillen and alan ormsby's deranged from 1974 based loosely on the story of ed gein who a la psycho kept his mother in his house and then started killing other women yes kept his dead mother in his house dug up some other dead ladies learned how to preserve skin yeah. And just wanted to add to the party. Yeah, he was he was like a renaissance man. He had a lot of talents and skills. Didn't uh, leave the house much. No, 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 no. I mean, a lot of geniuses, they don't, you know. They, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're strange and kooky people. I remember when I saw this movie when I was a kid being terrified by it and being disgusted by it. And it was one that I was afraid to rewatch for a long time and then eventually just didn't forget about it, but haven't gotten around to rewatching it since then. But it's one that I, I like knew was crazy and effective, and I forgot how funny it was. I it's uh, so funny. I yeah. I was asleep at this point. I I went in. I went in. I went in. I went and slept at a local friend's house for about four hours and missed a couple movies. But um, which is probably why you're more coherent than we are. Yeah, right we're now. fucked up. by a bit. But yeah, um, I, I I'm a big fan of it though. I, I watched it for the first time last year. And I think Robert's Blossom is incredible. He's amazing. You may know him as the old man with a shovel in Home Alone. Looking the same age that he does here in 1974. (laughs) And what a name. Robert's Blossom. 
You know, plural. it's a plural Robert for your first name. He contains multitude of Roberts. <laughs> and then Blossom. What a beautiful name. Robert's Blossom. He's yeah. so good, though. And this also, it's an interesting companion piece to Peeping Tom. Even though they look very different and are tonally very different, oh, they yeah. have so many parallels. Because it's a, it's a sleazy movie about a gross guy who you... Who is sympathetic, sympathetic. and lonely and yeah. has had this difficult life, but... There are scenes in this movie that just make me cry laughing. And of course, oh, the narrator. Of course, what, when this came on, I I was on mushrooms for a little bit, like not super long, but they really kicked in hard. Yeah. And it was like I, difficult. I saw you to get st- the giggles. Like my, <laughs> we, we both ate mushrooms at the same point earlier. You got to stay awake through these things. You know, you got to put me to sleep. They, they, they didn't kick in for me at the same time they did for Sam, even though we ate them at the same time. But, like, she started giggling. Oh, I'm going to feel them soon, baby. They're coming up for me soon. I know it. I mean, there's just so much great stuff. Like, if you haven't seen it, there's this narrator who appears in random scenes, like, physically in the scene, breaking the fourth wall, looking right at the camera. And it's it's really well done. But there's also, like... Probably my favorite scene is so his only friends are his next door neighbors who have him over for dinner and like clearly worry about him and and try to take care of him. They're explaining to him that this woman died and he's just so out of touch from reality that he's never he doesn't understand what obituaries are. Pass the bread to Ezra, will you, Brad? My little Miss Johnson. She kicked the bucket. She didn't kick the bucket. She passed away. I don't believe that. Well, it's right here in today's paper. Here it is. Let me see that. Yeah, the funeral was this afternoon. You remember her, Ed? Well, that's... That's old Miss Johnson there. What's she doing in the newspaper? Dang it, as I just told you, she's dead. You mean they put her in the... in the paper just because she's dead? (laughs) What's the matter with you, Ed? That's a dang obituary. A what? Now, don't tell me you don't know what's an obituary. Well, look, when a body dies, they take all the information and they put it in the newspaper in the obituary section. And it tells when the funeral is and where they're being buried and all that kind of stuff. You mean I can find out where and when somebody's been buried? On the very same day? Light at the end of the tunnel, all right. Yes, sir. You're right, as. Well, I'm going to look into that. I'd rather read the sports section myself. Not me. This here could be real valuable information. Why? What do you plan to do? Dig them up or something? No, sir. Wouldn't have to dig it all up. Well, I'm sure glad to hear that. Sure, why dig it all up when you can take the parts you need? Sure, maybe like... Like if you need the head for repairs or something. Well, then just take the head. (laughs) 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 You're crazy, S.O.B. (laughs) Oh, man. Hi, Miss Johnson. Remember me? I used to be in a Sunday school class. It's <laughs> so funny watching the gears turn in this guy's head during that scene. It's her dang obituary. Oh, so, so good. <laughs> what, a, what a great movie. And then in like the, the last chunk of it, I guess that's why I remember it as being so scary. Yeah, it turns nasty. Yeah. It turns really nasty. I mean, the movie's pretty nasty from the jump. When he has his mother's corpse in the house... It, it looks like one of the corpses from Necromantic. Like, it doesn't look like 
your standard horror movie corpse, you know, what you think of as like being zombie looking, you know, just a little bit of makeup. It looks wet. And desiccated. And and that he's just like talking to it like it's his mother. And this in this way that's just, it's gross. It's creepy. And even when you're like laughing at the narrator bits, it's very unsettling. It's the cute little date scenes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, what, yeah, there's fun to be had throughout yeah. this film. And then, like, while you're having fun, you're looking at this wet, desiccated corpse of his mother that's just... Ugh. Well, and then it has this interesting shift where, like, for the first half of the movie, you feel kind of bad. You're, It's like you recognize that he's a creep, but he's so lonely and out of touch that you feel bad for him. And I think you start to see him as kind of harmless and endearing. Yes. And then there's this shift where he becomes fixated on this waitress in a way that seems harmless and endearing. And the movie even contrasts him with other guys in the bar who are super creepy. But and they're, they're creepy in a way that's like... Normal, yeah, socialized normal creepy. Dude. Yeah, the movie fucks with you in that way. It fucks with the way that you think about people. Ugh. <laughs> I love it's, this movie. It's so good. It's great. And again, totally perfect for that time slot. Oh, yeah. 1 a.m. This is what you want. You want something fucking nasty, something funny, something to keep you keep you all juiced up. And number 10, I would say this was one that that uh, the exhumed film guys, especially Dan, when it came up to do his announcements, he let us all know that number 10 was one that uh, I can read exactly what it says on here. Harry and Dan from exhumed watch this on VHS at Harry's house as teenagers Thought it was awful and haven't seen it since. Hopefully the movie has gotten better since then, but not likely. And the clue is dumb, trashy, Euro horror, monsters on the loose movie that you will probably hate. So this is one thing that I love doing when we, when me and Sam and our friends, when we're programming movie marathons together to have fun with our, our friends, we'll throw in movies that we have seen so long ago that we didn't even like then. But the way, the best way to rewatch is them in a marathon. Is yeah. in a marathon. Well, also, we should say this four thirty five a.m. slot. They have a movie like this at this time every single year, where it's like the very first year. It was Al Adamson's Dracula versus Frankenstein, and I actively <laughs> wanted to kill myself. Yeah, it's it's their it's their Andy Milligan time slot. Yes, it's, it's one there. that like is is deliberately there to to either let you take a nap or to just brutalize you if yeah. you're still awake. Yeah. And we were locked into this film. Sam, what was the movie? Movie number 10. It was a 1982 David Warbeck movie I had never heard of called Panic from Tonino Ricci. There's an emergency in the laboratory and a serious risk of contamination. Have the emergency squad sent here right away. Notify Professor Adams and Professor Vince at once. Apply all measures of maximum security. So this also was the beginning of my stretch of like dozing off during the movie. So I definitely missed some scenes, but it's this extremely low budget sci-fi horror movie about this experiment that goes wrong. And this guy turns into this sort of like anthropophagus like monster where he goes on a rampage and David Warbeck is there I and love David Warbeck and Janet Agron from city of the 
Walking Dead or City of the Living Dead is here as a scientist and it's totally implausible and seems to have been made for about $50. Yeah. <laughs> This was the first one where like tiredness started hitting. Yeah, me. I couldn't. A lot of these 24s, I somehow, I find the power of Satan and I stay awake <laughs> for 24 hours. I do it, you know? Well, also the the key, I think, is the week beforehand. You need to eat your peas and carrots. Yeah, you, you need, need to, to eat a lot of vegetables, you you sleep a lot. nicely. You know? We didn't do that this no, year. No, no, no. We we had a party in week watching lots of fucking candy. movies. Lots of candy. Yeah. Lots of staying up late randomly for no reason. Yeah. Staying awake through panic didn't seem likely. I, <laughs> and and that's fine. Where I was like battling sleep. And you you know how when you're like, you'll like, you'll blink? And then like 10 seconds just went by in a blink, you know, and your neck feels funny. I did that throughout this whole movie. It was weird. It's such a weird fucking feeling when you're trying so hard to stay awake through a movie and you're like losing the battle, but you're just like determined, you know? Oh, I wasn't determined. I was like, all right, sweet David Warbeck, take me to slumber town. So, yeah, we don't really have too many comments on this. It was really dumb. I I can see people who like shitty Euro horror, as I myself do, yeah, having you. a fun time with this. It is readily available on Tubi, but every single person I talked to said, don't watch it. It's not worth your time. Well, it's like there's a dumb monster running around. It's low stakes. And it's hard for me not to like something with Warbeck in it because he just... It's like he's there for the paycheck. He knows it. You know it. The director knows it. But you still love him. Yeah. Get, get, get your bag. Yeah. Get this one was, warbag. from what I saw, was really stupid. <laughs> Movie number 11 this is one that I actually, I know this is a, a divisive film. Some people love talking shit on this movie. I love this movie. It's so cute. This is a fun, dumb October flick that you, this is perfect for a horror movie marathon late at night. Yeah, what? tell, tell us the clue. Is this a movie 11 or 12? 11. Okay, movie 11, sorry. Movie 11 is weird, obscure, but enjoyable. Absurd. 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 I'm fucking tired, guys. <laughs> Give me a break. Weird, absurd, but enjoyable B-movie that combines the mad scientist and animal attacks subgenres. And uh, this movie was... Once this motion picture sinks its fangs into you, you'll never be the same. Don't say it. Hiss it. Don't say it. Hiss it. Don't say it. Hiss it. Touch your skin. It's scaled. Look for your legs. They're gone. Feel your body. It's cold. And listen for the hissing. 1973. A fucking snaky good time. Also very... Very much a companion piece to Island of Dr. Moreau. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a movie where kids turn it into a fucking snake. He he gets some gross snake serum from... Well, he goes to work with this, like, crazy but renowned herpetologist who is just delightful. Yeah. And, 
what he doesn't know is this super nice, sweet man who just cares about like teaching people about snakes and, you know, helping the world by milking their venom to create anti venoms. (laughs) But the guy gives him, starts giving him these serums and he tells them or he tells him this is because you're going to be handling venomous snakes we don't want you to drop dead this will help you build up some resistance but in reality yeah in reality this is is an anti-vax flick (laughs) did you get your bivalent covid boosters that turn you into a fucking snake from (laughs) and oh my god can we talk about the snake handling in this movie they 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 give you yeah they give you they give you a a warning in the beginning or not a warning but just like a fact at the beginning of the movie it's like it's like roar but for snakes yeah yeah before roar starts they're like everyone that worked on this movie got died by fucking mufasa (laughs) it was like all these actors are really are really brave for dealing with these really dangerous animals and Honestly, I don't know if you guys have seen the film Phase Four. Have you seen mm-hmm. Phase Four? The end movie. Yeah, well, and the, yeah. the Kate Bush music video. Saul Bass, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a movie that has really, really gorgeous, almost National Geographic level of bug photography, ant photography, that is stunning to look at. You know, because they're they're fucking. It's cool looking at bugs. And this does the same thing with a lot of these snake shots where you're like, wow, this is beautiful to look at. So when you're watching this like weird B movie about a guy turning into a fucking snake, like it's not a great movie. It's got a lot of filler. Yeah. yeah. If you like these kinds of movies, you like these kinds of movies. It you was know? cute. It's really in the tradition of those like 50s B movies, but just interspersed with this gorgeous animal photography and like goofy likable characters yeah yeah i i I love (laughs) i mean i I love animals attack movies yeah we're suckers so the like zoom loves doing motifs and through lines through the movies they do and and, yeah it became clear that they there's reptiles in a lot of the movies oh yeah oh yeah Yeah. at least four of them Yeah. yeah Like this glorious movie house watching, you know, a man turn into a fucking snake at five in the morning. Yeah, that's Uh, that's what you want at that time slot for sure. All right. All right. Moving right along and changing pace completely. yeah. Yeah. Right after that movie, that's when they have this is one of my favorite traditions that they do at this thing. Right around 6 a.m., 7 a.m., they serve you breakfast breakfast cereal there's a cartoon this year it was bugs bunny with witch hazel one of the best and just to sit in this movie theater with fucking milk dripping down your legs eating blueberry (laughs) cereal watching bugs bunny at 7 a.m it's it's a delightfully delirious and magical feeling that i wouldn't trade for anything i really like this day is it's so life-bringing and this is one of those moments that i just I, i cherish so much and movie number 12, Sam, you're going to have to help me out with this one. Uh, the the clue was rare and rarely screened ghost story from the golden age of horror cinema. You know how I was saying how you, you every once in a while you blink and 10 seconds goes by? I blinked and about 90 minutes went by. <laughs> what was this movie and what was it about? So this is a movie that I didn't really have a clear guess for. I thought it might be the great Raymond Land film, The Uninvited, but that I wouldn't say is rare. Like we were talking about earlier, this is one of those unusual examples of them doing 30s horror 
And so we got another pre-code film, Victor Halperin's 1933 movie, Supernatural. Basically, Carol Lombard plays this very rich, beautiful woman who's grieving the death of her brother, who she was super close with. And she gets preyed upon by this con man psychic who was the boyfriend to this woman who like the description of her is the best thing in the movie. They like, basically she's this like wild woman who does whatever the fuck she wants. And the movie opens with this newspaper headline explaining that she killed three of her lovers in an orgy. And like, this is what pre-code movies can get away yeah, with that Holico- yeah. the, the Hollywood code films can't. So basically her spirit possesses the heiress and it's a really interesting movie, a really beautifully shot one, but I think it's kind of obscure for a reason. Like, it's definitely worth watching. It's incredible to be able to see a print of it. I but thought it was super entertaining. Yeah, it, it's it's like sixty five minutes too, so it really flies by. It's really tight. There's no, there's not a lot of filler. I don't think. No, it's it's interesting and it combines interesting themes like the stuff with the psychic con man and and there reminded me of Nightmare Alley, which is like. A yes. decade later. Yeah. It, I can definitely see I, that. I just watched Nightmare Alley for the first time recently, and wow. We're not what? talking the Guillermo del Toro movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> Never. And and I, I love this kind of movie playing here. You just got done eating cereal. Now you're watching some like old, creepy, nifty horror flick. It's cool to watch Carol Lombard like completely change character and she turns into this like maniacal villain with this it's great awesome. laugh and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently she did not enjoy being in the movie and mm. felt much more comfortable doing comedy, which she's a genius at. It still is really nice to see a Carol Lombard horror movie, but one where she's still super glamorous and because she's in mourning, she wears all these like great gothic ball gowns and you love to see it. You really do. <laughs> but honestly, the thing that you really love to see, uh, a change of pace and the clue for film number 13. I can't believe I didn't guess this. I honestly, I'm kicking myself for not even considering this. Yeah. The clue that they gave us was there are multiple film adaptations of this classic horror slash sci-fi story, but this is Okay. It's definitely not the best one, but it's still a pretty good movie. I just now noticed that it's like a continuation of the uh, number two. Yeah, yeah, multiple yeah. film adaptations, and this one's the best. That's this the one best is, one. Okay. There's multiple film adaptations, and this one's the okayest. Uh, Josh, what's the film? It is Abel Ferrara's Body Snatchers. Wake up! Wake you up! Get Carol! 759 what happened in your room is not an isolated incident. It is something that is happening everywhere to everyone. So, where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. 
no one like you left. That's right. Oh, God. That's right. That's good. You're listening now. That's very good. Okay. Now, I know you're frightened, Steve. I know you're scared. That's okay. I understand that. You're confused. Let me tell you something, Steve. Let me tell you something. All that anger, all that fear, all that confusion, it's gonna melt away. It's gonna go away, Steve. It's gonna go away. You go to sleep. You wake up. It's very simple. In the morning, you wake up. You feel wonderful. We will be together. We're connected. We're close. Together. More pure. That's oh, good. Dad. Dad. Let's go to bed, Steve. Let's go to bed. Get away from me! Get away from my kid! I fucking love this movie. I do. I I know it's. I mean, it's it's no. It's not as good as the original or the first remake, but this was this was the first one that I ever saw in this series. I watched this on the Sci-Fi Channel when I was a kid, and it scared the shit out of me. And I wasn't really allowed to watch R-rated movies, but I was like, "Hey, mom, I just watched this movie on TV. You mind if I rent it so I can watch it again?" She's like, "Yeah, go ahead, whatever." It's it's not really a kids movie. It's, it's no, a, it's it's pretty scary it's in scary. parts. <laughs> it's really really scary, and they get you when you're sleeping, and when you wake up, you're a different person. You're no longer yourself. And I I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that uh, a movie earlier, uh, I was really tired. And I was trying to stay awake to watch it. And this Exhumed Films 24-hour horrorthon is the best day of the year. And I don't want to close my eyes for a second. You know, I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but seriously, though, I, I don't want to fall asleep during this because this is the best day of the year. I don't want to fucking miss any of it. And, and that's the plot of the movie. And yeah. And that like, you know, that fight or flight reflex that you get where it's like, oh, my God, I can lift up a car to save the dying baby under it or I'm going to escape from the situation by turning into, you know, a superhero when you're really tired and there's no escape. Like no matter what, you're going to fall asleep like Freddy's going to fucking kill you in your dreams. And no matter what you you can't just stay awake forever. You're going to eventually fall asleep. Uh, it's such a scary concept. It's also, I think, different than the other version, the earlier versions of this movie, where the focus so much is on this fear of not wanting to fall asleep and not wanting to be vulnerable. Yeah, that they're gonna get you, and it's so scary. And and Meg Tilly forever. Meg Tilly. Mm-hmm. Meg Tilly. So this movie is one that, like, a lot of the horror in the first thirty-five minutes or so doesn't really it's just moody it's just moody it's a moody movie yeah scene setting definitely some paranoia yeah from the jump and when when meg tilly is no longer meg tilly meg tilly when she's different the movie changes and and basically also it's different from some of the earlier versions because we have this family it's this dad scientist working for the epa his new wife who's meg tilly his teenage daughter, Gabrielle Anwar's character who doesn't like her stepmom and her younger brother. And so it's like they're moving into this army barrack so he can do work for a couple months 
So it already has this like different plot than yeah. the other versions. And settings. And, so, yeah. and that army barracks setting, this like weird fake pop-up neighborhood. It it's looks like, like out a of regular a, well, suburban it's like, neighborhood. It's also like out but, of a 50s movie. Yes. Yeah. But it has this vibe where it's like it's not a real neighborhood. It's a neighborhood pretending to be a real neighborhood because it's this weird pop-up army neighborhood for like. But it's like fake and dingy. Yeah. And... It's, it's weird. And it's very fitting for the plot. And when Meg Tilly has that monologue where are you gonna go from then on out the movie is fucking run? scary mm-hmm. like it is actually run? scary i think the scene early on when um the kids at a daycare and all the kids show their pictures and they're all exactly the same except for his that I, that like really made the like the hairs on my neck stand up yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a such good one. a creepy movie and i i love this one this, but i also i'm biased because this is one that i saw at a very young age and scared the shit out of me and so now whenever I watch it again, we rewatched it a couple years ago for our... Which was, it was last spring. I did this plant-themed marathon. <laughs> Plants going wild. And we closed with this because I had never seen it before. And unlike... It's the, not really a plant movie. It's not a plant movie <laughs> no. at all. Like, like you could you can make a case that the 72 Invasion of the Body Snatcher yeah. is a plant movie because sure. there are all these plant scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even this though... This wasn't a plant movie. <laughs> even though it doesn't count, I was still really happy to see it at that marathon and loved it. I was a little bummed that they played it just because I wish I could have seen something totally new to me. Yeah. Or, But it also, it was great to have that tone especially because they're now shifting into their final the final few movies Mm -hmm. and the the late night set is always that psychotronic weird movies like and you know just like those weirdo movies and this is we're getting scared this Mm -hmm. is the horror thon here is something horrifying I feel like it also went with that kind of more serious art housey tone that the whole day had where it's I mean it's an art house director yeah it's an Abel Ferrara movie Although I'm I'm pretty sure he doesn't like this one and it felt like uh like a paid gig kind of yeah thing, he's a gun for hire yeah for I got for hire it was still I still really like it though it's so moody and atmospheric and if someone doesn't love this movie or like hates this movie I get it you know it's it's, it's not, not perfect it's not perfect it's I, I I love it though I fucking do but the next one. I got exactly what I asked for because this is a movie that I somehow had never seen was always kind of familiar with the VHS cover because the, I thought oh, it was an iconic. Indiana Jones looks ripoff. Like, well, Dennis yeah. Quaid looks like Indiana or, or Harrison Ford kind of in it. Yeah. All right. But the clue. Entertaining, somewhat forgotten action adventure, sci-fi horror mashup. Which I had no guesses for what this was. I just like gave up guessing. Yeah, I think I, I forget what I filled in. I The back half, I, I wasn't guessing shit. But the movie we got was 1984's Dreamscape, which has some of my favorite people in it, like Max von Sydow and Christopher Plummer. And Dennis Quaid. Uh, yes, but Kate Capshaw. I, Sam yeah. is a let's huge let's talk Quaid about Kate head. Capshaw before Dennis Mrs. Quaid. Steven Spielberg. Yes, are they still married? Yeah. Wow. Good for them. Yeah. Hey, you know someone's got to marry that guy, I guess. You know. <laughs> but Dreamscape, if you haven't seen it, Dennis Quaid plays this 
kind of Lothario con man type figure. He's a macho douchebag. Who, as we learn, has these kind of poorly defined psychic abilities. And he gets recruited by this government agency run by the scientist, Max von Sydow but actually run by Christopher Plummer by Christopher Plummer, who is channeling, who is channeling George Bush, Mm -hmm. Uh, George Bush senior, George Bush senior, for sure. Yeah. Head of the CIA, early George Bush senior, fucking very kind of sinister. Yeah. Yeah. Fade in the background, pulling the strings in the background, killing Kennedy and shit. Yes. And Honestly, I love the idea. This movie's got a fucking psycho plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dennis Quaid as this womanizing douchebag who's a psychic who guesses the horses and the horse races and just like getting recruited by a bunch of scientists who have developed this technology to enter people's dreams. Alex Gardner has a unique talent. And even he doesn't know what it can do. No one has ever done it before. No one has even conceived of doing it before. He is about to enter a world that no one has ever seen before. The world of your dreams. I was under the impression we were conducting scientific research here. You sound as if you don't approve. I can see you're going to be a real challenge to work with. Oh, wait a minute, Doctor. I haven't agreed to anything yet. There's somebody in my dreams. Who? An awful, ugly monster. This kid is being eaten alive and nobody gives a damn. Whatever his demon is, you have to help him face it. And now, his only way out is to go back in to the dreamscape. When you close your eyes, the adventure begins. Synthesize on the brain waves. And every time they go into someone's dream, they do that uh, uh, beyond the mind's eye special effect where you're like going through <laughs> like nebulas and I like. I was going to say altered states. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And like spinning clocks are in the background and lightning's flashing and then you're in the dream. <laughs> it's, it's Twilight Zone intro. It's some very there. endearing early 80s yeah. effects. And. This movie isn't perfect. Like, it has this amazing plot, but doesn't exactly uh, go quite as far with it, it, it as it could doesn't have. doesn't know what to do with it. Like, it says a bunch of ideas. Like it feels they, like it could be a TV show almost. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every week it goes into a new fucking. <laughs> like, head. it would be like Quantum Leap, except yeah. going into people's dreams to solve their problems. And the movie, like, at one point basically like says the plot of inception without ever really going into Mm -hmm. it they're like oh yeah well we can steal their secrets by going in their dreams and like learning their weaknesses learning their weaknesses and then eventually like you realize like oh that's why the cia wants this and they want to use it as a way to like assassinate people because of course this is a rule in any dream exploitation film and and in life if you die in the dream you die for real. Yeah. If you die in the game. Yeah, a lot of stuff with dreams going on, dreams and sleep going on in the marathon. True. I love when they have dream exploitation flicks at this hour, you know, when you're like you're battling the Sandman <laughs> and here he is to collect his due. And this one is a genuinely fun. Yeah, it's so fun. Movie. Super entertaining. It's so entertaining. And it's just like that's what you want. When you're, you know, 20 hours in. When yeah. you're just when brain you're, dead. Yeah. I yeah. 
I was able to stay awake for most of it because I was just having such a good time with it and it was finally like more of a tonal shift. Yeah, this this was a great choice for this slot to keep you going. Oh man, I, I, I have a ball with it. And who's the guy that's in it? George Went. Is, is no, he... no, David Patrick Kelly. Well, the, him, him too. No, well, who's? I don't know who either of these guys are. Who's the guy for the Warriors? David, David Patrick, Patrick Kelly. David yeah. Patrick Kelly. He's got he's got Freddy Freddy Krueger claws. Yeah, and it's yeah. the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street. It's so cool to see these like people who you're like, oh, I think I, I, know, I know that guy. Yeah, but yeah. George George went from Cheers is also in it. Every oh, yeah. every time he pop, pops up, Norm, like everybody it's in a bar. Yeah, just yeah. from looking at him. So, yeah, you love that when some like <laughs> obscurity crisis actor yeah. shows up and the whole audience just cheers. Yeah, I, that's the best part about these marathons is the Pe- audience. people cheering for well, the names and everything. Yeah. So at the beginning of every movie. People either like clap or cheer when you see big names like the director and some of the stars and like favorite character actors. But we got some really funny ones this year. We got during the church, we got some booze for Ozia Argeno's name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Someone booed Ozia Argeno because what did she do? She like killed Kurt Cobain or something, right? Uh, I mean, she she had sex with a, like an underage boy. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and like a like a co-star. I thought no, she just so this is this is part, Anthony Bourdain. The the theory is that part of why Anthony Bourdain killed himself is like their relationship was super toxic, but also he came out hard in support of the Me Too movement. You know, she told her story about being raped by Harvey Weinstein, and he was really supportive of her. But then it came out that she had sex with like a sixteen year old who was in. Who was like the child star that she of directed. her movie that the name is escaping me right now. Uh, and I think it's called The Hardest Deceitful of Multiple yes, Things. Yes, that is what it's called. And what wound up happening is Anthony Bourdain spent like half a million dollars to pay this kid off because he came out with public accusations, but also I think actual pictures of them in bed together when he was like a 16 year old. I feel my syphilis clearing up. So okay, so that guy booing uh, yeah. Sharon Jeno, yeah, all right, okay. it's rightful. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> Norm, Norm from Cheers. Oh wait, but you were. Did you have other other good ones from a? Uh, uh, people just, clapping. I just thought there were some funny ones. Yeah. What was great was no one clapped when Polanski's name. No yeah, one. No one said I, anything. So this is what I did. Like after I realized that it was like dead silent when Polanski's name came up, I just went. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was like surprised, but not surprised. So nobody cheered for the director of this movie. And they showed him, uh, they showed a movie by him last year, the stepfather, which oh. was like, which was like the biggest hit of last year. The in Marathon. stepfather was like a perfect wow, movie wait, to the show director of dreamscape. Yeah. The stepfather. Joseph Rubin. I had no wow. idea. Yeah. Me neither. But that's like, I think that's more or less all he's really known for. Wow. The good son also. Oh, oh hell yeah. 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 Yo, fuck yeah. The good yeah, son. yeah. 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 I think about the ending, yo, spoilers for the fucking good son. It's a great ending. <laughs> yo, the ending where it's the, you know, it's the mom and she's got Elijah Wood in one hand and Macaulay Culkin in the other. She's got to choose. And you can only save one kid who's dangling <laughs> off the cliff. Which kid do you save? The Solomon's Choice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking stupid movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Dreamscape, hell yeah. Uh, great choice for this slot. And like recently when we were hanging out um, in Connecticut at the Vinegar Syndrome, the archive, the store, who were we chatting with? Who was like talking up dreamscape? Brian. Brian loves, Brian who runs the store loves 
some really out there things yeah. and just has a genuine love for dreamscape i know and it was so cool that just like a week ago we were chatting with this dude and he was like yo dreamscape i watched it five times this week i just couldn't stop <laughs> watching dreamscape and then like to see like it's kind of it's in the back of our heads and here it is to watch glorious you love you love it i feel like that's the sort of thing you need to put in that kind of time slot and while they do occasionally have some perplexing placement of titles I feel like they've sort of honed this late night slot down to a science, you know, after 15 years, (laughs) which also, as many of our listeners know, I do not like new horror movies, (laughs) new being anything after 1995. Oh my God. No. It's kind of the cutoff. Yeah. Dr. Giggles is really the cutoff. Sam barely likes any movies made after 1985 unless they're hong kong movies when we talk about we're like oh yeah we don't really like new movies what we mean are like movies that came out 30 years is like a new movie to us you know or which i feel like i'm trying to start giving some things a chance like recently we watched the conjuring which was my first time seeing it yeah, and had some dumb fun yeah, yeah it's not it was bad, right it was yeah. dumb fun it was exactly the sort of thing i wanted to watch in october and I feel very much the same way about the last movie of the night, which they they don't do it every year, and they definitely didn't do it the first like six or seven years, maybe, aside from one or two exceptions. But usually they don't show movies made after 1995. Like one year they did, uh, what's it called? The Mist? Yes. One year they did The Mist. But within the last couple horathons, there's been at least one new movie, usually late 30 days of night, late, late night, early in the morning. So I actually I appreciate this. I like the variety, you know, and and honestly, they could play. I, I could dislike every single movie they play. It's still the best day of my life you know i was so mad about 30 days of night though i that was a lot of people were coming back for that like they they like had left and then came back and that was the one that came on and everyone's like oh fuck and and it's like two hours long yeah Yeah. come on this is awesome i i I think it's cool i think it's cool that in the same movie marathon you get shit from the 1930s and now we're getting stuff from like the mid aughts like a 35 millimeter print okay number 15 modern day creature feature favorite so my guess was the host right so i our friend victoria who was sitting behind us guessed the host and that seemed plausible to me based on the mist but we we heard other people say things like tremors and and that's kind of where i assumed slither yeah and slither just before the movie started when it it, the the word got out like oh what is it slither we were kind of convinced it was going to be I, Slither. I yeah. was really hoping. Especially with the trailers they were showing. I, I actually love Slither, though. Yeah. Uh, it was so funny to see a trailer for, like, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Which was shocking that Cabin in the Woods is a 35-millimeter sure. trailer. And, okay, so this movie, I'm, I'm, I'm going to announce the title. Yeah, yeah, say what it is. This movie was 2008? 2005. 2005. 2005's The Descent. From Neil Marshall. From the studio that brought you Saw and Hostel comes the best horror thriller since Alien. I saw someone! No, it's the dark. It plays tricks on people. This is not good, guys. The Descent. 
rated R. In theaters everywhere August 4th. When this movie came out, I loved it. Not me. Sam hated it. I, I liked I, it a lot too, yeah. I, I watched the it. first half and turned it off. I watched the mad. whole damn thing. And here's but here's the thing. I went into it not knowing it was a creature feature. When I first saw this movie, I thought, oh, it's gonna be a really tense drama. Disaster drama. Thriller. Yes, like it's about women spelunkers stuck in a fucking cave getting crushed by rocks. You know, like, and I, and to me, like, that was terrifying. Yeah. Like, I've gone down the internet rabbit hole of just, like, reading about spelunking accidents, about, like, people who are, like, alive for 36 hours Trapped all twisted in the up in crevice this thing, of a mountain. And they're trying to save the person until eventually they're like, we can't save you. We can't get to you. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's haunting. And same with, like, underwater cave diving. I don't know if you ever read about fucking underwater cave diving accidents. Too scary someone, for yeah. me. Someone, likes their, their flipper stirs up a little bit too much dust, and suddenly they're blinded, and they're stuck in this cave until they die. And The Descent is a movie that taps into those claustrophobic fears and is, like, it's modern. It's polished. It's got this fucking Euro vibe, this, like, kind of, like, mid-aughts artsy if this movie came out today it'd be an a24 movie yeah he definitely was doing some early kind of art house horror in the 2000s proto boutique horror but i i mean so i have very mixed feelings about neil marshall i know people love dog soldiers Mm -hmm. which i did not like at all but weirdly i love i don't know if you saw this movie he made with michael fassbender called centurion no no it's like a ancient Rome period piece where Michael Fassbender is this centurion in the middle of nowhere. Whoa. And it it like has some horror movie moments. It has some kind of fantasy moments. I weirdly really like it. Yeah. But I think the reasons I like it are similar to why I liked The Descent rewatching it. It's just like nice to look at. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so glad that you dug this on the rewatch because, and I'm also so glad that I dug it on the rewatch too because, a lot of times I don't like to revisit these kinds of movies that are from this period of my life. Like, yeah, I, movies, I probably would never have rewatched it if it wasn't for this. Yeah, me yeah, neither. Yeah, and because I like especially horror movies. If I see it once and I like it, and it's like a new movie, usually in my rewatch it's like, oh. Why this is like dumb. I'm, yeah. I'm embarrassed that I like was just hyping it up for the last 10 years and now I'm just like, oh hey, no brain. But this was just I mean, it's cool. Like it's lots of practical effects, mm-hmm. lots of great in a time when I feel like a lot of horror movies were super CGI heavy. Everything yes, it was, was CGI brutal. blood in 2005. 2005. CGI ghosts. Jesus Or whatever, Christ. yeah. Oh, oh my God, God. yes. Yeah. What a fucking shithole period for, for horror, you know? I mean, it's still it's still no good out there, Halloween. It's, yeah, it's worse folks. than it was it's, in 2005. But, but like, this was a breath of fresh air then. And I think that's why I loved it so much then. And I'm just, I'm grateful that I did still like it. My only, my only beef, because we love to do a little shit talking here. My only beef with this movie is that it's, it has a problem of its time. The shaky cam. Yeah. Every time there's like an action set piece scene where like things are going crazy and the fucking, yeah. the descent monsters, which look like fucking weird. Gollum. Gollum. So scary. Yeah. yeah. This is Smeagol exploitation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every time that they show up and they just are like ravishing, you know, and killing these like Just like ladies. smashing someone's skull in or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really gore, brutal. It's really brutal. And the gore is really good. They got a great like yeah. 
arterial spray out of the back of a head shot they yeah. do a few times that you'll yeah. love to see. But they have that shaky cam thing that makes it look like Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Like every time they show up, like suddenly we're doing this, like the frame rate drops. Yeah. And we're like cutting around like it. Yeah. Like fucking Gladiator. And it's a little annoying. It's a little annoying, but it was of the time. So also great to watch with a crowd because lots of cheering and clapping. And and, and also I think there were some gasps. Yeah. I I. I don't want to say this in a derogatory way, but I feel like there were some like not super hardcore horror movie fans, like people who wanted to do something fun for Halloween. And yeah. And they got a friend who was like, come to me the 24 hour horror. Thon. So people yes. who were like genuinely scared yeah, of like the you, descent. You could hear a lot of jumping and gasping. Yeah. It was nice. Like, and you could hear like, Oh no. Like you can hear that kind of stuff. That, yeah. Like, like, no, don't go in. Don't turn yeah. right into this cave. Yeah. Don't go in the woods. Why are you yeah. sprinting through a wet cave? <laughs> they Well, they also did stuff that I was surprised I liked. So I don't really like jump scares. I think they're stupid. Like part of why I hated Hereditary were the really bad jump scares at the end. But I feel like this did a, a similar version with the golem monsters that I loved oh and thought God. was yeah. scary. It was awesome. When there's this one jump scare where, like, you know you're about to get the... Ah, oh, I love that. When you know, you fucking know they're going to jump scare you. Like, the way the camera keeps moving where they're, like, showing you what's around the bend. Then it spins around to the character who doesn't see what's around the bend. And there's, and like, just enough light. Yes. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Someone's going to jump out and scare me. Someone's going to jump out and scare me. Something is about to jump out. Ah! You know? And it fucking <laughs> scares you. And, like, it gets you. Like, there's a... Ah, it's I was so going to say, speaking of, earlier in the day, Repulsion, I didn't realize there's there's a jump scare in it. It's oh, terrifying. Yeah. And it made the audience jump and you could hear it when it happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I was wondering if it was, like, the first time somebody did the, the gag where, like... Or the bit where... They're looking in a mirror. They open the mirror, close it, and then there's a face there. Oh, oh my God. That's, that's, that's so scary. Yeah, that's, that's I, I, it's got to be the first scare. time or one of the first at least. Uh, I want to say there might be some 30s movies where that happens, okay. but don't quote me on that. So effective it, in Repulsion, it, though. It, yes. Oh, my God. It's so well done. And it's they do something similar here. There's this one shot in particular where they're in the dark and they have these headlamps on and yeah. sometimes they use flares and it's such an effective use of a type of situational lighting that yeah. makes things extra scary. But there's this scene where she looks to her right and she looks to her left, totally expecting to see one of these things. And then when the camera tilts a little bit, you realize it's on the cave wall above her head and mm -hmm. it's so scary. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love that. And, yeah. and, and, and because the lighting is like that, you're straining your eye to see. So you're looking closely at it. You're leaning forward. You're leaning in. And because you're doing this little bit of extra work to catch in a little more details, it forces your investment in it. And it's, I, yeah, The Descent, what a fun closer. Yeah, you know? I think it, if, it, if they open with that, I would be mad and like awake enough to be in a huff. But because, <laughs> but because my like will to live was beaten out uh, of me, having this gosh. nice to look at scary newer yeah. movie end the day it, w it was like kind of a perfect closer i, I definitely so was i think so too and this i mean i keep saying this this event is so perfect you Even, take a shot every time charles talks about how it's the best day of his life it is <laughs> it really it really is and uh 
what a day what a day josh thank you so much for coming on this uh this, yes do you do you have a single favorite movie oh of the yeah day? what's your favorite movie of the oh, day definitely the hunger it's one of my like i said one of my favorite horror movies ever so yeah how about I, how about, how about you two uh holy shit what, what movies did we just see i'm tired folks <laughs> what, what did we just watch we watched we peeping tom island of lost souls Mothra, Mothra, the hunger. Okay, Mothra, Mothra. Yeah, good, Mothra good baby. It's fucking Mothra. My favorite is Peeping Tom, hmm. just because that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Michael Powell's one of my in my top five favorite directors, and it just is something that I never thought I'd get to see on thirty five. Yeah, oh. what a day! What mm-hmm. a day! I feel like I have a million fucking shout outs to like all our friends. Well, Jesus Christ, I'm banging everybody, but also I have friends that I've loved my whole life that i now only see once a year because they live far away but they travel but they travel you travel to this like whether you're a new friend from massachusetts coming down or you're my oldest friend and old roommate from pittsburgh who i see once a year at this event it's just it's so nice to come together to these kinds of things and i love watching movies with my friends it's so yeah nice. we we, we took up probably three straight rows, like four rows. and there were more of us scattered yes, we, throughout we the like, theater. Originally, I was like, oh, yeah, we got we to gotta block off a dozen seats. We block them off. And then I start like counting in my head. I'm like, oh, shit. We need, we need like to, 30 seats. And then, and then you feel like an asshole because you're spreading out a hundred bags of like candy trash on these seats. Like, oh, sorry, seats taken. Uh, <laughs> and then when you're sitting there you can't even talk to your friends you're watching fucking movies for 24 hours yeah. so who cares who's near you you're in the dark watching movies whatever best day of the year i love you guys josh thanks for coming on the show do you got anything to promote yeah, do What's you have any shout life? outs tell us uh, yeah what do you got what do you got josh i got nothing really i mean i'm, I'm uh acting in something that's coming out yeah you're a fucking like movie months, star man but, uh, what are you talking about you got nothing I, I mean i got nothing like concrete to plug at the moment what but... do you what, what, what's your can, can you can you reveal what your latest film is or is it still or uh, your hush, last hush. one that came out uh blood sick psychosis yeah by shot Bruce on, Longo. yeah shot, shot on, on video. video i'm the star of that movie that's streaming on uh most major platforms right now uh next one yeah uh filming in the fall i forget you're a movie star i think yeah. you're just a regular fucking nerd because you watch movies together all yeah. the time and then like you know you're in these yeah I'm, I'm, I'm in some stuff yeah you're in aren't you in dark military i'm in the dark military <laughs> yes. i'm in uh abc's of death 2.5 wow a bunch of random art films and stuff 2.5 so. is that like one of those ones where it's like jackass 2.5 where they like it's a, a bonus it's, feature it's kind of it, it's it's all the submissions for the for one of the letters basically but it's one of the ones that like didn't they, they weren't yeah they yeah exactly like yeah more or less <laughs> don't make him feel bad he didn't get any sleep and agreed exactly, to come yeah. over here and record oh man yeah we need to go to sleep now I yeah think. we're fucking tired folks we're tired josh i love you thanks for love you too. yes man. thank you so much yeah we're, we're doing our own 24-hour horror marathon next week definitely taking some days beforehand to actually get eight hours of sleep oh my god good call all right all right good night everybody happy halloween